Sports. Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Green Bay Packers. This is the Packers Wire Podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Packers Wire editor, Zach Cruz. All right, Zach, that wasn't the game that I was expecting. Green Bay got demolished by the Bucks, 38-10 to in that national TV spot. And I get, you know, coming off a bye, you just, it's hard to explain. But I guess my biggest problem with it and the thing that sticks with me the most is that once things started going wrong, once, you know, Rodgers finally threw the interception, they finally had the turnover and it's a pick six and stuff starts going against the Packers, they didn't really put up a fight. They didn't really respond ever. It just... They just let it go off the rails. And I think if you're a Packers fan right now, you got that's what you're most disappointed with, right? Like, there was just no fight. There was no response. It kind of turtled after things started going wrong there. And that's a tough one to yeah. swallow. Yeah, yeah. I think that was probably the most disappointing part of the whole performance, you know. Packers kind of coasted through the first quarter of the season. They, you know, they faced a little adversity early against Detroit and some a little late in New Orleans, too. But they really got punched in the mouth by a good team on Sunday. And then, like you said, they just crumbled. You know, once they went down 14 to 10, you know, they, the, the two picks in the second quarter, and then they weren't really even competitive the rest of the way, especially on offense. So that's kind of been a trend with the Packers under Malafleur. They don't lose very often, but when they do, you know, Everything kind of snowballs. Everything kind of goes wrong, and they get blown out. So, yeah, there's a, there's a level of concern there. You you definitely like to see a good team be way more resilient in that situation. You knew this was coming eventually. Like, we were just right. like, it was just too many puppy dogs, rainbows, unicorns. You know, it yep. was just too much of that. It, it, we kind of had fun with it for a while there, but you knew this was coming, right? They were going to get hit in the mouth yeah. at some point. And, again, they, yeah. just, they just did not respond. Yeah, eventually, if, you know, if they want to be a Super Bowl team, they're going to have to face these, you know, these really good teams, and they're going to get punched in the mouth every now and then. So, yeah, they're going to have to learn to be way more resilient, you know, the rest of the way. We've talked about, you know, ad nauseum over the last seven, eight weeks doing this podcast together, how Rodgers and LaFleur were just in this rhythm, and they're just lighting it up, and, and Rodgers' numbers just, like, stop you in your tracks here. I know the Bucks have a good defense, but it's not like, you know, this isn't the 1985 Bears. I mean, uh, right. Rodgers' QB rating was 35.4, 46% completions, no touchdowns, two interceptions, sacked four times. Aaron Jones ran it 10 times for 15 yards. I mean, the Packers' stats, you can go down the list. You had a great tweet. What did they, they ran 17 plays in the second quarter and gained five yards. I mean, right. <laughs> the stats are not kind to the Packers in this ballgame at all. No, no. I, I think, you know, just about everything the Packers did well to start the season, you know, during those first four games, they really struggled with on Sunday. You know, they, they turned the ball over. They couldn't get the run game going, struggled to pass protect. They weren't really effective on first down. They didn't hit any deep shots in the passing game. I think they had six or seven three and outs, and they had one the first four games. So, you know, those are all things the Packers didn't do the first four games. I, I think the Bucks did a great job of, you know, they stopped the run early, made the Packers a little one-dimensional. And then, you know, the Packers got pass-heavy there once once they got down and the Bucks unleashed, you know, they, they had a bunch of great blitzes and coverages and Rodgers looked a little confused and the rest of the passing game couldn't really handle it. So, yeah, I think a lot of things went wrong on Sunday in Tampa. Game ball to Todd Bowles. He's really having a season over there, the defensive coordinator for the Bucks. He really yes. is. He's good. And he re- yeah. You, but speaking of the Packers defense on their side, I mean, you had this great tweet and I'll read it here. I clipped it. Uh, does the Packers... Packers defense do anything well. They aren't pressuring the quarterback, aren't getting turnovers, don't tackle well, can't stop the run, not getting stops in the red zone. And it, I mean, the offense was so efficient that maybe they were masking these deficiencies yep. on the other side of the ball. And, and you've kind of mentioned it throughout. You're like, you know, you kind of stop me. You're like, Ryan, don't get too excited because the Packers still aren't tackling anybody. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I think like the offense has been covering up maybe and the spotlight hasn't yeah. been shining on the, on the deficiencies of this defense. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not sure this defense really has anything it can hang its hat on right now. Kind of 
what I said in my tweet, you know, that actually they were so good at pressuring the quarterback and that pressure often created disruptive plays and turnovers. And really that pressure is really dried up for whatever reason. I, I think Preston Smith is, is really struggling to produce opposite Zedarius Smith, who isn't as dominant as he was last year when he led the league in pressures. And, you know, Kenny Clark just came back from injury. So I think the Packers are on pace for half as many pressures as they had total last season. So, but yeah, when this defense doesn't get pressure, all the other issues look a lot worse. You know, they, they have struggled tackling, stopping the run. They only have three turnovers. You know, the Bucks, the Bucks scored four times in the red zone on Sunday. You know, Gronk kind of ate them up. So I, I, I don't know if this defense has an identity. You know, the, the offense really needed a momentum stopper there in the, the second quarter when the Packers offense was struggling. And, you know, they let the Bucks drive down twice and score big touchdowns that kind of put the game away. So, yeah, this, this Packers defense has to find an identity pretty quick. And I think it starts with getting more pressure from, you know, some of those top frontline guys. It's just going to be better than Sunday, right? I mean, you put on the Packers wire site, the Green Bay Packers have a few obvious holes, but they might not be super active at the trade deadline. You actually don't expect yeah. them to make any major moves. But if they were, if they were to make like a move at one position, what would be the top of your wish list, Zach? Like what position would you want them to look at and then go after? Yeah, if I had to rank the positions, I'd, I think I'd probably start with the defensive line. You know? yeah. This group could really use a, a reliable veteran who can, you know, play on all three downs, stop the run, get get after the quarterback a little bit. It's it's really just Kenny Clark right now and a bunch of rotational players who are, you know, they're mostly run stoppers and they're they're pretty up and down week to week performance wise. So I'd also throw probably inside linebacker in there, even though they're gonna get Kamal Martin, the rookie back soon from IR. I'd, I'd throw a playmaker on offense in there too, because this offense was shut down. They they lost Tyler Irvin and the whole thing, you know, kind of shut down on Sunday. So yeah. I, I do think it's gonna be tough, you know, both financially and, and with some of these COVID-19 conditions to, to add a player that's going to impact the game right away. You know, it, it what takes like a week to get a guy in there. So yeah. the Packers have, Packers have a bunch of cap issues coming up next year. So I, I, I'd like for them to, to add a defensive lineman. I think that could really help. And I just, I don't, I don't know if I see it. All right, we're coming off the bye week. There's plenty of stuff going on around the NFL, and Zach is super knowledgeable, so I want to get his take on some questions around the NFL. Then we'll, we'll touch upon the Packers-Texans game as well. We'll do that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Bonini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week number seven. Quarterback Joe Burrow versus the Cleveland Browns. These teams met in week two, and if you'll remember, Burrow threw 61 times. Don't expect that in this one, but he finished with 316 yards and three scores. Those numbers are just slightly better than what is being allowed by Cleveland on the year at 290 and just over two touchdowns. Approaching 303 is within reason, but be very happy with 280 and two. Running back Latavius Murray of the New Orleans Saints versus the Carolina Panthers. New Orleans is fresh off of their bye, and they face a defense that has given up eight rushing touchdowns in six games, plus allowing more than 100 yards per game on the ground to the position. While the scoreboard usually dictates Murray's role in the offense, he has seen at least 10 touches in each of his last three games and in four of the five contests that he's played this year. Carolina is dreadful against running backs. Marvin Jones of the Detroit Lions faces the Atlanta Falcons on the road. While Jones has been awfully silent of late, producing only 17 yards in his last two games combined, and he has no touchdowns 
touchdowns with Kenny Galladay in the lineup, there's still upside here. Atlanta has given up the fifth most points in both prominent fantasy football scoring systems. Most of the damage has come via being the second worst defense for yardage and the seventh for catches allowed. This game also has a potential for a shootout given how poor Detroit's defense has played most of the season. Another player who at one point was featured prominently in fantasy football, Evan Ingram, the tight end for the New York Giants. On Thursday night, he travels to Philadelphia for a top six matchup in all meaningful statistics for fantasy. This defense has given up the fourth most catches, sixth most yardage, and sixth highest touchdown efficiency rating. It hasn't been pretty for the Giants, especially for Ingram. At some point, it's going to click, and gamers have to be ready to take the chance and not miss out on such a premier matchup. For more fantasy football news and advice, make sure to check out thehuddle.com. And that's what's exciting because we don't have to have y'all say, hey, you're doing this. Hey, we know. But we also know that we're going to improve because we believe in one another. And that's what great teams do. Great teams find a way to win a game. Bad teams win with prettiness. Great teams win no matter how it takes. Easy for you to say there, Nick Foles. Some of my favorite sound of the year right there. It's just priceless. Awesome. But uh, hey, Zach, how concerned are you about the uh, the Bears, the 5-1 and one Bears? Any concern at all? Are you buying the Nick Foles hype, the Nick Foles winning ugly thing? They, I think they need to like trademark that thing. Winning ugly. That's the Nick Foles way. Uh, here the Bears are. They're, they're confident over there. Look out for the Bears. I, I don't think it's a perfect comparison, but these Bears do remind me a little bit of last year's Packers. Actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't always pretty for that team in Matt LaFleur first year but they just found a way to win games it was often ugly you know they won a bunch of close games i think the bears had like a plus 12 point differential but they're still five and one so that's crazy you know that's that's a lot like the packers last year they went 13 and three but they weren't winning big everybody thought they were the worst 13 and three team ever so yeah. you know, I, I don't think i'm buying the bears quite yet you know i don't think anyone's going to be scared of nick Foles in that offense but you know that defense is playing really really well and that's going to keep them in every game so i think they probably do look like a playoff team you know especially with the added team in each conference so i'd expect them to push the push the Packers in the NFC North all year. They actually play each other, I believe, twice in the last six weeks, including the finale. So, you know, it's setting up to be a good race. That'd be fun. Yeah, so we could compare them to last year's Packers team, but we just got to say the Packers had much better quarterback play. <laughs> that's yes, all we got to say. They, they <laughs> we, sure did. That's the one thing we can't compare is because Foles, <laughs> is, he's, he sucks. But my God, he's making it happen. Speaking of the playoffs... You know, one of the big storylines around the league right now is the obvious. We're all stating the obvious when we say that the NFC East is going to produce a team that's under 500. <laughs> Could be the Eagles right at like six, nine and one. Or I would be surprised, Zach, if the Washington football team makes a run or so- something weird's going to yeah. happen in that division. Right. But what do you think? Should the NFL go back and look at this thing where the team that wins a division automatically hosts? I think that's. I think we're getting to the point now where that part is is kind of stupid. Like, maybe that team that wins the division automatically gets in the playoffs, but why do they have to host? Like, if the Bears have this really great record and the Packers beat them out and now the Bears somehow have to go to this NFC East team in the first round of the playoffs, that's just not right. Like, we got to fix that, don't you think? Yeah, it is. It is going to be a shame that an NFC East team is going to going to get a home playoff game when you know there's four really good teams in the NFC West and probably two or three, you know, one or two at least probably aren't yeah. going to make the playoffs. It's so. honestly embarrassing this year. That's how bad those teams are. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. embarrassing. They can't play at home in the playoffs. Like that's it's like come on. Yeah, I, I do think winning division, you know, that has to mean something, and maybe it doesn't mean a home playoff game, but you know, there's going to be a there's going to be a good football team that gets to go to Dallas in January, or maybe gets to go to Washington Seriously. and just smoke a team in the first round. So, you know, maybe that team will be the Packers if the the Bears somehow win the division. 
So one thing that, Zach, I was hoping you could help me with, because uh, we saw it in the Cowboys-Falcons game a couple weeks ago. Mike McCarthy got in a situation down two scores where he had an opportunity to either kick an extra point to go down by eight or go for two early. And this is something that's like an analytics question. And we saw it in the Patriots-Bronco game. All my friends are texting me, yelling at me. They don't understand what's <laughs> happening. I'm trying to explain to them why it's, it's actually the right call to go for right. it early. Nobody believes me. They all call me an idiot. They call me stupid. And uh, so I'm hoping you could help me. So really quick, Belichick with eight minutes, 31 seconds left. Patriots finally score a touchdown against those freaking Broncos who won with six field goals. But I, I'm still I'm still trying to wash that game off me. Yeah, I do live out here in New Hampshire. If anyone uh, if anyone here doesn't know that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in Patriots country out here. And basically it's it makes it an 18 to nine game. Belichick could either kick the extra point, make it 18 to 10. So you're down one score on a two point conversion. Or he could go for two early. And I understand, Zach, why they're going for two. Yes. The guys in the broadcast, though, both on TV and the radio, guys on sports radio the next day and the next couple days, they just don't they don't understand. And they can't explain why. They all think Belichick's made a mistake in that he's an idiot. But I understand why he's yeah. did it, because there's so much yeah. time left. You get to learn what the outcome of the two-point conversion is and then exactly. manage the game from there, right? I understand that. Yeah. But can you explain it better, please, so people understand? <laughs> Yeah, I think you you touched on it right there. You you want to know what you need with as much time left as possible. I think that's the simplest way to say it. The traditionalists and maybe casual fans think, oh, we got to cut this to a one-score game, you know, make sure we can tie it down the road. You're going to need to get that two-point at some point, either now or later. So why not know the situation right away? Exactly. Especially if you don't get it and then you need two two scores and you still got the eight minutes and you're not, you know, scrambling to get eight points when there's 90 seconds left. So. I do think, you know, some older fans of football and casual fans don't get it because I think it kind of defies common sense a little bit. But I think Bill Belichick played it exactly right. And that's the analytics say it's right. And I, I totally get it when you dive into it a little deeper. Oh, no. Everyone's like, oh, throw the analytics out the window. Uh, you know, like, right. don't let that take over the game. But it's like, guys, if Mike McCarthy and Bill Belichick are doing it, it's probably the right call. Like, it's probably the right call. But exactly. No, but no, I'm a homer. I'm a honk that everyone's calling me a Belichick <laughs> Bobo. And I'm like, I swear to God, I'm not. I'll, I'll criticize Belichick all day but more with Zach coming up next it's that time again for the line of the week the inside track to the favorites the underdogs and the over-unders I think I want my money back now here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire hello I'm Eston McLaren of sportsbookwire.com and bet slipping podcast here's what you need to know to bet on the week seven Sunday night football game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Las Vegas Raiders. The Bucs are coming off their most impressive win of the season, beating the Green Bay Packers 38-10 in Week 6 to move to 4-2. The Raiders, who are 3-2, are coming off a Week 6 bye after stunning the Kansas City Chiefs with a 40-32 road win in Week 5. The Buccaneers come in as 3-point road favorites. Las Vegas Raiders, their home dogs, plus 3 over under a 53 and a half. Buccaneers, they got a win by four points to cover that spread. I'm back in the Raiders. They stay within three points. They might even win that, right? I'm going to put a little sprinkle on the plus 130 money line for the home Raiders. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more. With all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook, subscribe to BetSlip and Podcast with new episodes every Friday morning. Be sure to rate and review. All right, Zach, Packers favored by three and a half on the road going up against this Texans team, which I don't know how you get a gauge on this Texans team. It's hard to predict what's going on. Talk about 
sports being unpredictable. The Houston Texans right. are the most unpredictable team in the league. What do you think about this matchup for uh, as you're working on it for Packers Wire? What's going on? Yeah, I, I think the Texans are a talented team, but the, the Packers are getting three and a half points against a one-win team with pretty much no defense. Sure, it feels like easy money to me. Mm. I, you know, the Texans are giving up over 30 points a game. We know the Packers can score a bunch against a bad defense. You know, the Texans are coming off a pretty devastating loss in overtime. So I think, you know, taking the Packers to cover here looks like a pretty good bet to me. What about you? I, I agree. It's a get-right spot for the Packers. They're going to come out right. playing a lot better football, aren't they? You just see that. It's, usually in the NFL, when a team looks like crap, like the Bucks did against the Bears, they usually look really good the next week, yep. like the Bucks did exactly. against the Packers. Right? You see that all the time, and like you got to be careful not to overreact based on one thing, because usually the opposite will happen. So I like the Packers to cover that line, but the over-under is a balloon. It's up to 57 so obviously, so obviously they don't think that uh, the Packers are going to be able to tackle the Texans in this game. It's going to be a high-scoring no. shootout. I, know, I think it's easy to envision the Packers scoring over 30, and you know Deshaun Watson could easily score you know, 25, 27, 30 points against that Packers defense. So I, looked, I actually looked this up beforehand just for this question, but the games involving Packers this year, the five of them, they've averaged 60 points. So maybe the over doesn't look too bad. All right, cool. Let me let me just jot this down, make sure I put money on Packers <laughs> minus three and a half and look at the over. Okay, Take thank over. you, Zach. Yep, thank you, Zach. Got Appreciate it. that. And, and then real quick, before I let you go here, it's two a time. It's two a time in Miami. That's kind of fun. And it's not like Ryan Fitzpatrick over in Miami is playing terrible football, but this is fun for no. the league, right, to get a chance to see Tua Tungo Viola and see him start. I know the Dolphins are on a bye this week, but how excited are you for two a time? And do you kind of like what the Dolphins are doing over there? Yeah, I mean, these coaches get to see the guys in practice every day. They got a good handle on it. I think getting a bye week beforehand had to play a factor in it because now you're giving, you know, a really talented rookie two weeks to prepare as a starter and see what happens. So two is clearly the future there. If he's ready or they think he's ready, I think just let him play. Let him play through. Let him learn on the field. This kind of relates back to the Packers because at some point, you know, the Packers are probably going to have to face that decision with Jordan Love. Probably not this year, but down the road, they're. They're going to have to decide if they want to keep playing Aaron Rodgers or, if, you know, if Jordan Love is ready, if, you know, if he's going to be the starter. So I do think it relates to the Packers in that way. Well, if Rodgers gets to the point in his career where he's grown out a beard like Fitzpatrick and he's just like, yeah. he's a, maybe it's, they'll be like, all right, Aaron, it's time. Then, it's time. then we'll know it's Jordan Love time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. Yeah, that's a great way to tie it all up. So, all right, Zach. Hey, enjoy some football this week, man. All right, I'll, I'll talk to you next yeah, week. Sounds good, Ryan. This USA Today Sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.